Thank you, Lisanne and Tiara. It's really interesting development in Haiti where there's one orphanage where we've taken kids from the time they were basically babies. And there's just such a... It, 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 it's it's an interesting environment at Calvary Christian Family. It's It's almost... You know, this is this is how kids are supposed to be raised. It's a total Christian environment, and they've had very little exposure to to sin, to the violence and the stealing, and just the multitude of social evils that are in the world, but now there's another orphanage, and Tiara and Lisanne talked about it, <clears throat> where they just took teenagers off the streets, and they have, these guys have scars all over them, and, and they just live by stealing, they used to live by stealing, and this type of thing, and it's really interesting what happened, though, they, uh, in this place, uh, they, they they to prepare for them coming in. It's a completely different house in a completely different part of the city. To prepare for them coming in, they actually mobilized police officers in the church be, to 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 sort of as a contingency plan to come in and help out when things just erupt and and go crazy. But <laughs> the, we went over there for lunch. There were seventeen kids and. We were playing basketball with them, and w- then we came in, and at lunch, these kids, these guys, these teenagers, they just sit down, and they weren't saying one single word during lunch. <laughs> Not one word. I mean, they were, like, perfectly behaved, and I'm thinking, okay, can some of you come to my house and teach my kids? I mean, it, it was just incredible, and they said they just never had to utilize these whatever, this contingency plan of bringing in, you know, cops with AK-47s, just through love and love alone, these kids are staying there, they're blessed, they haven't, I think they had one who has run away, the rest of them have been there for seven months, and uh, it's a miracle. Very different environment, though. Uh, In CCF, as you saw, you, you saw lots of pictures with the street kids, though, there's no cameras allowed because there's very much of a phenomena in Haiti amongst these street kids. There's so much, so many charities and different church organizations, really, that have taken advantage of kids like this by taking their picture, sticking them on a website, asking for money, that the kids are all aware that that happens, and so if you take pictures of them, they feel taken advantage of. And, they, and not only that, they want the money. Give me the money, you know, if you're gonna take my picture. And so, uh, uh, be all things to all people, that's what the Bible says. And so we left our uh, cameras in the car, but I'm, I'm it, it's, uh, I really wish we could give you some pictures of them, because they were just such a tremendous blessing, and. They just love to be loved, and they've been motivated by love. 
And uh, that's, that's what the sermon's going to be about this morning. We're going to be talking about the prodigal son. Before I say that, the next books, book club meeting, Secrets of the Secret Place. Now, Kenny, the bookstore, uh, the head of the bookstore ministry, I don't know, he doesn't really strike me as a salesman, but uh, I tell you, he gave a really big, heavy pitch at the men's retreat. He said, look, if you're going to buy any book in the bookstore, buy this one. You guys ever heard that line before? (laughs) But, um, you know, we talk a lot around here about daily getting into the Bible, right? I mean, do I sound like a broken record or what? You know, I'm always bringing that up. But there's no point in even getting into the Bible. And I gave a message on this a year ago every day, unless your heart and your attitude is right towards the time in the Bible. I don't know if that makes sense for you, but if you just go in and you're just reading it like a religious thing to get it over with, that's not going to have any value at all. It's just going to dry you up. What this is, is, is a book where it teaches you what's the heart that needs to be nurtured in order to enjoy your time in the Word, enjoy your time in the Bible. So, um, Secrets of the Secret Place Book Club. When is that? When's the next meeting? Three weeks? They're, they are now meeting on Mondays right here uh, on uh, uh, Monday night once a month. And so that means free parking, that sort of deal. You just park downstairs and uh, we give you free parking for it. So, Secrets in the Secret Place. If you're going to buy anything in the bookstore, buy this book. Anyway, so says Kenny, but I trust him. It's a, it's a wonderful book. So if you could stand for the reading of God's word, we are in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. This is Jesus speaking. Verse 11, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal meaning wasteful. He blew all the money. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want, meaning he was starving. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine, pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods, the corn cobs, that the swine ate. But no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish. I'm dying with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. 
and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals and feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him, begged him. And the older son answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have served you. I have never transgressed your commandment, yet you never gave me a, a young goat that I, might make, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word. It could only come from you, Lord. This, this, this kind of thing can only come from you. Lord, we want our lives turned upside down by this kind of love. We want to be able to love like this. We are told in your word by the Holy Spirit that is possible. It's not only possible, it's a promise. If we walk, Lord, and follow you, Lord Jesus, do that with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So we were, we're going through the book of Luke, and we just happened to be in Luke 15, which is the most famous chapter in the book, other than perhaps the, the uh, Christmas story at the beginning of Luke. We were in this par parable a couple weeks ago. There's just so much in this parable, though. There's probably a hundred different full-blown Sunday morning messages, but good news. I'm going to keep it to just two, okay, just two. So... Important to remember the context of this parable. Why is it that Jesus spoke this parable? Well, remember the context, verses 1 and 2, the Pharisees, that strict religious sect and very powerful and influential at the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, they were watching Jesus 
and they really didn't like who Jesus was hanging out with. Verse 2 says, they complained. This man receives sinners. He receives them into his life. When they asked Jesus' disciples, hey, do you think Jesus would agree to, to talk with me? Remember in the book of John that actually happens? Some Gentiles, uh, I think it was, it was verse chapter 11 or 12 of John. Hey, can we see Jesus? Well, that, that was typical for the time. The Bible would ask the disciples, hey, can we, can we see these, these Jesus? Can we see him? These were tax collectors, sinners. What did we say the, the sinners were? What did we say? What does that mean? Oh, please, come on. Devoted to sin. If you, if you, if you, uh, if you break down the word in the Greek, hamartolos, sin, devoted, devoted to sin. The Pharisees were like, he's eating with people who are devoted to sin. Well, some of these people had asked, can, can we eat with them? Can we talk with them? And, he, and, in, and, and, and the answer was, was, was yes. And it wasn't reluctantly, well, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, I guess I better. It was enthusiastically. Jesus had such a good time with these people that we saw earlier on in the book of Luke that people were looking at Jesus and he was having such a good time. They said, well, obviously he's a drunk because only a drunk could be having that that a time like that, could be having so much fun. So it was enthusiastically he received them. It was in response to that complaining that Jesus says, verse 11, a certain man had two sons. And he tells this most famous parable. These people, the Pharisees, angry that he's with these people, devoted to sin, sinners, in the original Greek. So, a certain man has two sons. The younger, the younger son says, hey, dad, can you just, uh, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Can you just give me all the money that you were going to give me when you die? Can you just give it to me now? That's what he says. Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he asked his father for his inheritance. Completely inappropriate. Total lack of respect. What does the father do? He actually does it. He gives him his inheritance. Now remember, the father in this parable represents who? God. And what father on planet earth would ever do this? give out their inheritance before they die? I mean, few if anybody uh, but God would do something like this. And he does things like this. Sometimes this is what love looks like. Sometimes this is what love look, look, looks like. It looks outrageous, outrageous love. Are you saying, Pastor Steve, that if my son or daughter comes along and says, hey, I'm tired of waiting around for you to kick the bucket. Can I have my money now that you, that you should just, I should just go ahead and give my son, my daughter the money? No, I'm not saying that. That would be turning love into law. And Jesus never did that. The Bible says in, in John 1, 12, 
the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, you put those two together, love came through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't creating a law here in Luke 15, but he makes it really clear that love sometimes looks in a particular situation for a particular man or woman, it will look outrageous and outlandishly foolish. And the fact it looks outrageous and outlandishly foolish isn't going to stop him from doing it. Neither should it stop us. In this parable, the father had been living for a long time. I have no doubt. The father knew long before this time, before giving up the money, that he had lost his younger son. The younger son was gone. He was living in the house physically far away in his heart. He was already in that faraway land that we saw he went to. The relationship was lost. The father wanted him back, and he wanted him back as soon as possible. And he knew how it was going to happen. He gives his son the money. There are times when an act of love looks outrageous, looks foolish, but that should not stop you from doing it. So we talked last time about the transformation of this younger son. He goes out, he wastes all his father's money on wild and crazy living, prostitutes, ends up all alone, no friends, no money, no food. Verse 17 says, but then he came to himself. But when he came to himself, when a man is on the receiving end. Listen carefully here. When someone, anyone, has been on the receiving end, has been a recipient of love, of outrageous love, the outrageous love of God, eventually the love will waken him, awaken her. When you are the recipient of that kind of love, it stays with you. You can't just sort of put it away. It becomes embedded in you. It may lie dormant for a long time, but eventually it'll, it'll come alive. So he comes to himself, verse 17 says, and a radical transformation takes place in his heart. He says in his heart, we talked about this a few weeks ago, I'm going home and I'm going to tell my father, verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me your hired servant. So what do we say about that? Remember what he said in verse 12. Father, give me. Give me. Verse 12. Give me, Father. And now in verse 19, it's Father, make me. Listen, that's always the goal of outrageous love. Always the goal. 
Because God really cannot give me what he wants to give me until I allow him to make me what he wants to make me. If you're taking notes, please write that down. God cannot give me what he wants to give me until I allow him to make me what he wants to make me. Father, make me. Verse 19. Is that where you are at in your heart? Really, is that where you're at? Is that the cry of your heart? Make me, God. Make me into whatever it is that you want. Or are you still fixated on give me? God wants to take you there because, listen, he cannot give you what he wants to give you until you allow him to make you what he wants to make you. So the son returns home. His father sees him from a great way off. Ran, his father runs to him, falls on him, kisses him. So let me share with you a prevalent idea that I've struggled with. A prevalent idea about God. That this planet, planet Earth, is God's playpen. God sort of reluctantly allows me in that playpen. You know, well, okay, if you insist, Steve, you can hang out in my playpen, but you better behave. It's a very prevalent view of God. Now, if this picture in Luke 15 doesn't completely demolish that wrong idea of God, I, I don't know what will. Listen. And I was, I was just reflecting on this this week. And man, it was, it was building me up. God's my biggest cheerleader. He really is. He's your biggest cheerleader. But the problem is, if you don't have that cry in your heart, make me. Make me your hired servant. Whatever you want to, make me God. Make me. If that's not the cry of your heart, there is nothing for God to cheer about. There's a lot to break his heart about but there's nothing to cheer about. But if it is the cry of your heart, God, make me. Make me whatever you want to make me. God's your, God, again, he's your biggest cheerleader. All of a sudden, the cheerleader gets on his feet and verse 20 is what he looks like. It's what God looks like. He saw him, he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. Verse 22 says, and put on the best robe and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf 
verse 23, kill it, let us eat and make merry. That is what God looks like. That's what cheerleading looks like. God's cheerleading of you, of your life. That is who you are in his eyes. The best robe, a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and a fatted calf. No, it's not a fatted calf. It says the fatted calf. The outrageous love continues. The outrageous thing about God's love is that his forgiving is immediately followed by giving. The outrageous thing about God's love is that his forgiving is immediately followed by giving. We? Oh, we think we're spiritual hotshots. By pardoning someone who has grievously wronged, man, they've they betrayed us. They've grievously wronged us. Well, I'm, I'm going to pardon them. So listen, I just want you to know that that thing you did to me, I'm not going to hold it against you. Oh, man. Ooh, are we spiritual? Ooh, yeah. Very impressive to the world, but you're not impressing God because that is not how God does forgiveness. God follows the forgiving with what? Giving. And over the years, I've loved this illustration. It's a very simple one. The lawnmower situation. Now, I know that there's not a lot of lawn mowing going on around here in the city, but just try to imagine this. Okay, you're out somewhere in the country or in a suburb. You have a lawn mower, and you lend it to your neighbor. And your neighbor accidentally drains the oil out of the engine, and the engine completely blows up. It just catches on fire. The lawnmower is completely ruined. Oh, man, what a bummer. But you're a super swell guy. How many of you have ever used that word swell in your life? Okay, everyone over 50, you just admitted your age. But, but you're a super swell guy, and you say to your neighbor, you say to your neighbor, you know, don't worry about it. I need a new lawnmower anyway. Ooh, impressive. <laughs> to the world. But that's not how God forgives. God forgives like this. Listen, don't worry about it. I need a new lawnmower anyway. And by the way, can I take you out and buy you a gigantic prime rib at the Outback, Outback Steakhouse and an onion blossom and a slice of death by chocolate cake? Can I do that for you right now? That's God's way of forgiveness immediately following forgiving with giving. The best robe, a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and the fatted calf. But if you forgive like that, you're encouraging bad behavior. You are encouraging bad behavior. Your son will go out and do the same thing again. You, you, if you do that, you will be taken advantage of. Grace is really, really risky. We got another book in the bookstore. K. 
Kenyon will say if you're buying two books in the bookstore. <laughs> the first one will be Secrets in the Secret Place. The second one will be this book called Grace Awakening. And in this fantastic chapter called Isn't Grace Risky, he actually addresses preachers, teachers, anyone who teaches the Bible. And he says, if people aren't taking advantage of the grace that you preach, then you're not preaching it right. And I agree with that. It's true. People take advantage of grace. But you know something? I heard, I heard this rabbinic parable, a rabbinic parable. Is it a parable that was written by, not in the Bible, written by rabbis, Jewish rabbis, and I think it was around the time that Jesus lived. And this parable uh, had the same players as Luke chapter 15. Father, two sons, same thing happens. Younger son goes out, blows all his father's money. And he comes back to his father's house. And the exact, pretty much the exact opposite thing happens. The younger son takes, uh, the, 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 rather he comes back to his, his, his father's house, but when he comes back, he returns and is made a servant by his father for the rest of his life. And he's no longer a son, he's a servant. What's the purpose of that, a parable? It's to instill fear. It's to motivate good behavior by fear. And that is how the religious man, the religious woman, tries to motivate good behavior by fear. Listen, daughter, if you ever go out and get yourself pregnant, don't bother coming back. I hear that, actually, not infrequently. But it's the religious man's way. That's the religious woman's way. The religious man's way of motivating good behavior. But that's not God's way. God's way is, is this. Daughter, you know what God's way is? When it comes to sex outside of marriage, I've taught you, but I just want you to know. If you mess it all up, and you decide against God's way and you become pregnant, I want you to know I will forgive you and not only will I forgive you, I will take you in and do whatever it takes to help you. That's God's way. Now, some of you are thinking that sounds crazy. And if you're thinking that, that sounds crazy, well, you're thinking the same way that the Pharisees are thinking in Luke chapter 15 when they're listening to this parable. And you're also thinking like the older son. Verse 25 says this, now the older son. was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. 
And therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, doesn't even call him his brother, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with prostitutes. You killed a fatted calf for him? And the father said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead. And he is alive again. And was lost. And is found. The older brother's doing the same thing. He's saying the same thing. You're rewarding bad behavior. Worse than that, you're encouraging bad behavior. And worse than that, you are not rewarding good behavior. You seem to be penalizing, punishing good behavior, punishing me. That is what grace looks like to the ungodly man. To, that, that's, what, that's what grace looks like to the religious man. That's what grace looks like to the world. The Bible says, I believe it's Romans 4.10, God justifies the ungodly. He just, not based upon anything that they've done, based on nothing that he does, he just he justifies the ungodly. And that gets people really mad. You mean the thief on the cross at the very end of living this atrocious life is just able to say, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom and, and Jesus pardons him, he, he spends the rest of his life in eternity. You are telling me I can live any way I want and at the very end of my, uh, my life, I can just give my life to Jesus? Yes, that's what grace looks like. And by the way, the way you're talking, you're sounding a lot like a Pharisee in Luke chapter 15 and the older brother. Remember, that's who Jesus was responding to. It was that heart that Jesus was responding to in this parable. I want to point out something that is so critical to understand. None of this is minimizing sin. None of this is saying it's okay to go out and violate God's law. Notice in verse 21, the younger son returns to the father and he says to his father in verse 21, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice the father doesn't disagree with him. The father doesn't disagree with what the son says. He doesn't pat him on the back and say, well, you know, don't worry about it. It really wasn't that bad, you know. And listen, you shouldn't do that either. Neither should I. When God is dealing with someone, when God is dealing with someone, don't try to minimize what they've done. That's not God's way. That's not God's heart at all. 
And, and, and we see that here. We do see that he doesn't try to minimize it. You don't do, see him uh, doing that uh, uh, because you know why? Because it was really that bad. He did behave in such a way that he's no longer worthy to, uh, to, to be his son. It was that bad. It really was that bad. But notice also in verse 30, the older son says to his father, so, so this is sort of the other drama that's going on. It's the, it's the, it's the older son. In verse 30 it says, this son has come and devoured your livelihood with prostitutes. The father doesn't disagree. The father doesn't say, well, you know, young man, they just got to sow their oats or whatever, some stupid thing like that. He, he, doesn't say, he, he doesn't say that. He doesn't trivialize what the younger son did. On the contrary, no one knows more than the father just how wrong, and I would even use the word wicked, no one knows more than the father how bad the behavior was, how terrible, how horrific this sin was. Remember who the father represents here? He represents God. Why was this sin so terrible? Because this sin, what the younger son did, killed Jesus. It killed Jesus. Never minimize sin. Never call sin anything less than what it is. First sermon ever given in the church, Acts chapter 2. What, Peter, what did he say? You crucified Jesus. That's what he said to the masses. What was it that crucified Jesus? Their sin? No one knows more than the Father how horrible this sin is. Never does he minimize uh, 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 the, the sin. The sin killed Jesus. But, but, but listen, here, here's the deal. <laughs> God didn't send his only begotten son into the world to be killed for our sin, only to have us be kept out of his presence. But rather, it was to bring us back into his presence. He created us, Genesis chapter 2. In, in order to have a relationship with us, he created us to enjoy us, to delight in us. And I could just fill up the screen here with Bible verses on those things. When we sin, we violate God's law. When we decide want to, that we want to be God and not have a God over us, the Bible says that whole relationship is destroyed. That, that whole relationship and that delight, God delighting in us and God enjoying us, all replaced by judgment of a holy God because he's perfect in love but he's also perfect in justice. A judgment that hangs over our head that says guilty, deserving of death. God sent his son into the world to die in our place and, to, and the judgment and to take the judgment away from us onto himself and and this is what this parable is about to bring us back into his presence no matter what we have done. Now notice in this parable, who winds up in his father's presence being blessed beyond his wildest dreams because you know, as his father is enjoying him and delighting in him. Who, who's in his presence 
It's the younger son. Who winds up outside of his presence? And you know, I do believe this is a picture of hell. You've got to be careful in doing too much theology in, in parables, but I do believe this is a picture of hell. Who winds up outside of God's presence? It's the older son. He winds up outside of God's presence. Verse 28 says, therefore, it, it, it says in verse 28, but he was angry, the older son said, and would not go in. A complete lack of understanding of who the father is, who God is. He misunderstood two things. One thing, at least two things. One thing he misunderstood about God. We discussed this a couple weeks ago. The reward is not the fatted calf. It's not a young goat. The reward is God himself. Verse 31, this is the father pleading to the, uh, uh, to the older son. Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. You are always with me. In other words, God's the reward. And the older son doesn't get that. But he also miss, misses out on a second thing and this is what keeps him out of his presence and I believe represents the truth, keeps him out of heaven. He misunderstood that the reward for being in his father's presence is free. And there's nothing that you can do to deserve it. And there's nothing that you can do so bad to keep you out. It's completely a gift. It's totally free. Verse 32 says, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Wow. What a powerful message right from the heart of God. I'm just going to ask the worship team to come up, and if you've been asked to pray, uh, I'd like you to come up as well. You know, if you're in a place where maybe you have been wasting your life. You look back at your life and it's just wasted in many respects. What this tells you, what we've just learned about tells you is that God is looking for you to come back to him and he will run at you and he will devour you with kisses, hugs. This is your, God is your biggest cheerleader. And if you're willing, if you're willing to come to God and say, God, make me into 
whatever you want to make me, if you're willing to do that, and you've never done that, just come up here after the service. We'll have some folks praying here. They'll be praying in the... Uh, actually, they'll be come up during the closing worship song. The worship team is going to start to play. Just come up. If you've never done that, come up. It's a simple prayer of faith to be accepted, to walk into the, the kingdom of God. God, make me whatever it is that you want to make. I believe what Jesus did on the cross. He died in my place, and I believe he rose again to give me new life. Now make me whatever you want to make me, Lord, so that you can give me what you want to give me. Or if in some other way your heart was stirred during the message and you just like to pray, you can come up during the the closing worship song and just come alongside a brother or sister and and they'll pray with you. The grace of God. We understand so little about it. That he wants us to know all about it. Paul says in his letters of the grace of God. I've been exceedingly abundantly blessed by the grace of God. It's a dangerous risky message that God fills up his Bible with. But it's for you. It's for you to understand, to receive, and to live. So why don't we stand for the closing worship song and please come forward if you'd like to pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for this heart that you have towards us. And Lord, we understand so little of it, but we thank you that this morning you've opened our eyes, Lord, and... You've opened our eyes to your desire, your desire for us to to give, to understand the grace, to receive it, that it's free, and now we need to give it. I just thank you, Lord, for the cross. And we say to a man, to a woman, to a child in this room, we're not going to sit here and try to pretend our past life which may include something we did 20 years ago or something we did yesterday. We're not going to pretend Lord this morning, not after this message that what we've done against your word was anything less than, than terrible because it killed your son. But Lord, we thank you. Your word says because it was the joy that was set before Jesus. The joy of coming back into relationship with us that he went to the cross. It was for your joy that you sent him, Lord, Father. And I just pray now you'd fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we could just walk out of here, Lord, understanding and living the outrageous love that you describe in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.